You know, one of the great things about these lifestyle programs over the last couple of weeks is that with our main studio being uh, refurbed, it's getting a coat of paint, so as to speak. When we have the gang from Pet Chat in, you guys have to hover around the single microphone, single set of headphones, so I hope everyone over there is deodorant ready. <laughs> Firstly, uh, Dr. David Tabard, who's been on holidays, so we'll make sure you do the hello Hi. first. G'day, David. G'day, Mark. Good to be here. All right. We're going to make sure we put hold your feet to the fire and answer many questions today. Absolutely. And Cheryl Shaw, always on Brooch Watch for you, a nice red flower. Tell me more. Okay. This is a poinsettia, and you'll see them around a lot at the moment because everyone's getting ready for Christmas. So we're going to be talking about making sure your pets are safe around your Christmas decorations. Um, getting ready for Santa season, but that if we've got pets at home, Cheryl, there's an extra layer of thought that has to go into this. Yes, that's true, Mark. I was noticing the other day that the poinsettias are out in both the nurseries and, um, and in the homeware sh- stores, and they always remind me of Christmas. And those plants that you can buy, we need to be very careful about what we're doing with those. Because sometimes um, a pet might chew them or rub against the poinsettia and they have a sap in them that is quite um, an irritant for a lot of pets. So just making sure if you are giving poinsettias as gifts or decorating your home ready for Christmas and having friends around that you um, keep those poinsettias out of the place of um of your pets. The other thing is a lot of people start putting up their Christmas trees around now. I don't. I wait until the 1st of December. I'm such a traditionalist. So December 1 or the first weekend in December? No, December 1, definitely. Uh, I don't want it up too much. (laughs) Yep, yep, just, you know, straight up. And my Christmas tree is a pink tree full of poodles and no tinsel. So tinsel is a big issue for a lot of pets. Now, David, you can laugh at this. But you just got some new puppies and you need to make sure there's no tinsel on your tree this year. David, how many dogs did you get uh, again? You got One, did I hear puppies, plural? Yes, that's right. Two. Okay. I've been told, I know because you're doing this, Mark, I've been told mm. by Sh- Cheryl Shaw and Julie Tolliday. Umpteen times. From Barker's Imbalance. Many uh, times. Yeah. Many, many times. Pr- well, a few times. They might have mentioned it over the years. Getting litter puppies together is not the right thing to do. But we want to talk about tinsel, yes. not so, about my puppies. So just make sure that I'm you... I'm going to change the subject back. No, no, absolutely. So just make sure that with those new puppies around, Cheryl, for something, for some advice here for David, that uh, the tinsel, because they're going to find it as something that's shiny and exciting and they'll just want to delve right in there. That's right. And they'll be pulling that tinsel and tug-of-warring with it and something bad could happen. So no tinsel on your tree this year, David. Oh. Now, another thing that you might want to avoid and other people might need to think about as well is candy canes because often people hang the candy canes on their Christmas tree or they have a bowl of those around, you know, those sweet candy canes. They are um, sweetened by an artificial sweetener called xylitol. So that is quite toxic for dogs. So we want to make sure that we don't have the candy canes around either. So, David, that goes off your tree this year. It's going to be a pretty bland tree. Very bland. (laughs) I'll just keep the candy canes oh. elsewhere for myself. Oh, you just keep them in your room and uh, maybe just keep the, the, you know, the dogs away from those. Good idea. Yeah. And the other thing is another edible thing that people often put on their tree. You can get these lovely chocolate baubles and things like that. We want to avoid those as well because of the chocolate toxicity. And some of those even have macadamia nuts in them. They're covered with chocolate macadamia nuts. So, again, these things are really toxic to dogs. Um, You often find that cats really enjoy climbing the Christmas trees as well. So if you've got a cat, just think about where you're going to put your tree. The other thing on your tree, you often have your Christmas lights. Now, 
they look great, but if you've got young puppies, they could chew the cords. And the other thing is rabbits. Often rabbits will find those electrical cords and chew the cords. So if you're thinking about having lights on your tree, make sure that you have got those cords safely put away, that the, your pets can't get to them. It's really important. Another thing that's around at the moment is the lilliums. I know mine are flowering and the lilium flowers are often given as gifts to people when you go to visit them. Just remember, if they've got a cat, don't take lilliums. Have another choice of flowers because even if the cat brushes against the stamens on the lilliums or if it drinks the water, eats or chews on the leaves, they lilliums are deadly. They are so toxic to cats. So we just want to be mindful about the things that we're giving, what we're taking to people's place or how we're decorating our own home. There's so many things that are dangerous to dogs around Christmas time in particular, um, but just making sure that, you know, how you decorate your tree and what you're putting around is is very safe. You quite often think that do a lot of, um, maybe more of a question for David on this, uh, but when folks sort of put up their Christmas tree and getting the home nice, do we see a lot of injuries uh, to pets, David, at the start of Christmas season as folks are starting to get their house prepared? Yeah, well, I've seen the... Um, ch animals chewing on electrical wires. I've seen that. So a really interesting thing about the um, electric lights on trees is they're often a DC current, which uh, is often a low voltage, right? But the current is still high enough to cause problems. Current is what causes injury. So I haven't seen any animals that die from it, but they can get really severe injuries. I'm surprised. I just would have thought that, well, mm. that, that's it's all over, but uh, apparently not. Well, you get a shock because the current is trying to get to the earth. So the type of injuries that I've seen include mouth injuries. Often they get burns on either side of their mouth. Mm. And then the other thing is, and this is a really tricky one, is that if you get electrocution injuries in the mouth the lungs fill up with fluid. It's called non-cardiogenic edema, sometimes called flash edema. It can happen in like minutes. And I have seen animals that develop that after chewing on electrical cords. And that can be extremely difficult to treat. Um, and that's probably the biggest worry with that. Interesting thing you said, though, Cheryl, about the macadamias and chocolates. So um, macadamias are really interesting in that obviously they're an Australian native and we don't really see them or they're not on our radar as a toxic uh, plant or food and so on. And they cause a neurological toxicity. So they'll actually cause a, a partial paralysis of the back legs and uh, of their whole neuro neurological system. And I've seen that in dogs, um, haven't seen it in cats. But sometimes people have whole macadamias in the shell mm -hmm. and then crack them. And those shell pieces of shell, they leave them lying around. They are extremely dangerous as a foreign object. So a dog or cat will eat those, swallow it, and it can just tear, tear up the inside of the in stomach and the intestine and things like that. And I think one of the, the issues here, uh, guys, is that um, a lot of these things, it's not something we have all year. Like you don't have the tree up all year. You don't have that additional uh, electricity flowing around. Um, and the foods, I mean, there are foods that we might actually not deal with all the time. So therefore, all of a sudden, it's out for Christmas. We think we're doing a, a bang-up job at our place, looking fantastic. All of a sudden, the dog, the cat, the rabbit, whoever, uh, they're coming into contact with all this gear that they're just not normally coming into. So that extra layer of vigilance that we all need to keep in mind. 
And I, th- I think we've got, you know, at front of our mind is things like who's going to bring, who's going to cook the chalk for Christmas lunch or not who, me. who's going to bring the ham. Nobody's thinking about, hang on, do the candy canes, do they have xylitol in them b- right. to be safe for the pet? So we, we, even if we think we're being safe, probably it's that extra level of surveillance and vigilance yeah, to make sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. And uh, Cheryl, continue with. I know, now it sounds a bit clunky because we're moving guys are moving the one <coughs> microphone around, but you'll go, Cheryl. Yeah, there's other things like the Christmas baubles. They all also cut the mouth. You know, those glass ones, they're quite dangerous. A lot of people also put around potpourri to make the place smell nice and candles. Those things, you know, candles can cause so many injuries, to, particularly to cats that jump on high benches. You might have the candle set up and then the cat gets burnt. So there, there are really a lot of issues that we need just to make sure that we're being aware what we're putting around our homes to decorate isn't creating any more problems and then having two puppies around Christmas time. <laughs> you had to get that one in, Cheryl, didn't you? <laughs> Poor David, you'll never let this down. David, you, there is a shortage, though, that you need to, to bring oh, to our attention and the wrong time of the year yes. for it to happen. Well, Mark, exactly. Um, we often talk about the hazards of... Um, paralysis ticks over the course of a year particularly in the period August through to about October now we've got some real problems here because a couple of things one is we've had obviously prolonged wet periods which means that um, the breeding for paralysis ticks has continued and we're still seeing a lot of patients coming into the hospital the other thing is that's happened is there is a national shortage of a critical shortage of tick antiserum. So if your dog or cat uh, gets affected by paralysis tick at the moment, there is a real likelihood that they may not be able to receive this life-saving treatment. Um, So at the moment, we're now on rationing and reducing the amount of uh, tick antiserum that we would normally give to patients and it's incredibly effective as as a treatment i've seen it save countless lives and for us to be in a position now where we just don't know like at the point we run out and we've still got a little bit of stock left in our hospital and we're seeing probably four or five patients a day but at the point we run out that's it until we get new supplies and they're predicting that's not going to happen until mid to late December. Which is still a long way away. I mean, we're, yeah. that's, we're talking at least, what, a month to six weeks there. Right, exactly. And, um, I mean, yes, if it's rationing back a little bit, is would what impact would that have on effectiveness of the product, David, if, if, we're, if you've got to give a little bit with each? Well, that's actually a really good question because a lot of people have looked at what is an effective dose, what is the dose that we need to give. And so the manufacturers have their data and they describe their dose regimes for us. We do have some national guidelines associated with um, the prevention and the treatment of tick poisoning. And um, at the moment, the national guidelines are actually being reviewed to ensure that we can still provide effective treatment with a reduced dose. So, you know, in the past we might have said one mil per kilogram uh, between five and 40. Well, now it's like half a mil per kilo um, from five mils, but only up to, say, 20 or 30 mils. Whether or not that extra, you know, for a really large dog is that extra 
10 mils that we might be bringing back that dose a bit is that going to make a big difference i hope i hope not so really look the key thing is that um for everybody and we talk about this all the time but i wanted to make sure we get the message out is prevention 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 and so there are some really good products on the market particularly um, I've seen more and more because I've got puppies now, in case you didn't know, (laughs) in case case Mark or Cheryl forgot to mention it at the start of the show. Um, I'm looking at all the products, you know, for preventatives, and I didn't realise the range has grown dramatically in the last 12 months. What about in terms of, because we are in that now the preventative stage is is what we're talking about, that goes to the front of the line here, Um, what are some of the, the practical things we can do in and about keeping your pets away or toward, away from particular areas? Would that help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we're very privileged to live in in an environment, and most of um, certainly where I live and where most of our listeners are, are coastal. So anywhere where you've got that moisture and you've got the temperature in that kind of thirteen to twenty degrees Celsius range, that's optimal breeding for ticks. So well, it's, it's pretty much everywhere <laughs> at the moment, isn't it? Well, that's right, and it's the moisture that's really keeping this going because normally, what happens is as we start to dry out, heading in towards summer the ticks dry out. They literally will dry out. And we see a fall off in the tick patients in December. Let's hope that happens. However, um, for your own preventatives, apart from using a a regular preventatives, um, you should also make sure you avoid grassy areas, bush areas, right? And search your uh, dog or cat uh, daily and particularly after they've gone through a walk through any of those areas. Having said that, a lot of backyards, your pet sitting in the backyard could be just as much at risk because we, you know, you've got gum trees and they'll come in on lizards and birds and possums and all sorts of things. The ticks will come in, uh, the uh, female ticks on those, on those animals will lay eggs that hatch into larvae and then those larvae will develop in your backyard. So I'm not just saying just simply stay away from bush areas solves your problem. You still need to use preventatives. You still need to search them daily. 90% of ticks are found on patients in front of the shoulders, but you should do an all-over tick search, and there's plenty of good videos online, Um, certainly even from some vet hospitals around this area have got some good videos on their website showing you how to do a tick search, and you just walk your fingers through the coat methodically and systematically covering all places, including in the ears, in the lips, in the toe uh, pads, between the toe pads, um, under the jowls of the neck as well. Any Anywhere there's a nook and cranny, and if you find a little something, a little lump, then just keep your finger on that and then gently part the hair until you can get a really good look at it. And there are, again, look at some videos on tick removal um, because that's the main thing. If you can get the tick off early... Uh, then you reduce the chances that your animal is going to succumb to tick poisoning. Good afternoon, Denise from Walls End. Your cat's a scratcher. Oh, is she ever terrible. And how long have you had your cat, Denise? I've had her since she was a kitten. Yes. And what and sort of breed is she? Uh, a Toby cat. A Toby cat. Toby right. cat. Okay. Yes. And what's her name? Her name is, um, oh, God, I'm... Uh, Cartier. Cartier. Oh, Cartier like the jewellery. 
Yeah, my granddaughter's named her. Oh. And she's a dear little thing, yeah. but she's eating, scratching everything. I've already, I've got two lounges in the house, one in one sunroom. She's absolutely scratched the bottom off that lounge, and I've recovered the bottom. She's scratched every corner of that lounge until she's right through to the bare wood. Yes. She's also starting, well, she's also, as well, as well as that, she's also started on the lounge room one until she makes a hole. And then when she makes a hole, it just gets worse and worse. I bought the spray from the pet shop that you spray, which does no good. Which spray, which spray is that, though? Oh, I can't tell you. I can't remember, but it's a spray you get in. A, I went to the pet shop and they said, I'll try this because the cats don't like the smell of it. Oh, uh, okay. All right. So I bought that. didn't make one bit of good. Yep. So now I've got the fly, fly squatter out. Right. I see her go near it. I whack, not her, I whack the floor or whack whatever she's near. Yeah. And she takes off. But that's only for a minute and then she's back again. Yeah. I, so you're trying to dissuade her. Using first of all the the spray, yeah, and then secondly now using the noise and possibly the movement yes. of the swatter. Yeah. All right. And do you have any other animals? No, only her. No, just I'm her. Scratching, scratching boards everywhere. Two in each room, <laughs> which makes her house. Okay. Terrible. All right. The scratching boards, and she does use them. This is the thing. She does use them really well, but then. She likes the material around it. She does, yes. Mm. Even the furniture that I've painted in the back room, which is white paint over, um, you know, aluminium furniture, she even chews all that off. Yeah, it's a pretty common problem. So first of all, really good that you do have the scratching pulse and f scratching furniture um, rather than your lounge. Uh, mm. At least we know that she's not um, going to avoid that, right? No. Um, but it's just that... We've also got the regular lounge sitting there and it looks just as inviting. So generally a dissuading or um, aversive techniques are less effective. Um, and in your case, you found not effective at all. Mm -hmm. And um, I've seen a lot of other versions of aversive techniques like to try and distract them and get them away and, you know, spraying... Um, noxious kind of sprays on them while they're doing it and that sort of thing so no you know i guess in a last resort that might work but it's obviously it's not uh doing so much now so let's try let's move to a different approach um now where you've got the scratching pole is that anywhere near the lounge furniture that she's well, scratching it wasn't. They were just in the room, two different places. But I thought, being near the lounge corners where she yes. scratches, I put the boards. Yes. All right. But that, does, that doesn't help. Uh, okay. Well, it's in there and it's line of sight, okay? So it's within her field of view, but she's just gone, well, yeah, that's there, but I've equally, I've got the furniture to yeah. shred here as well. Yeah, yeah. So we can use a couple of things. One is that... Um, and there's a spray that you can get, and I know that you went to the pet shop and got the yeah. um, aversive spray, but there is actually a spray called Feliway, F-E-L-I-W-A-Y, and it's actually an attractive pheromone, okay? So it hel helps them feel calm, helps to relieve stress, and so it's one of the things that could be more attractive to get her towards the scratching pole. Okay, right. 
So generally, I think anyone who's got a cat, you should have some fell away in the house uh, for a whole lot of reasons. But certainly in regards to stress and trying to make things a bit more calmer for her, that's a really good product to use. You don't need to use it much. You know, one spray once a week on, on the scratching poles might be enough just to increase the, the um, attractiveness of them. Other people have also used things like you can get catnip now and um, place that or rub that up against the scratching pole and that's also very um, attractive to them. Okay. Um, now, the other thing is they're two of the attraction-type things. Another thing to do is move the furniture, the lounge, in some way and then cover the corners, and I have seen I've people. All, yeah. I've done all that. I've done all that. I've covered all the lounge corners. Um, Great. So she couldn't get in and pinned it all. No, she scratches that off. She scratched it off. I've seen some people use aluminium pie plates. Because when they go to scratch that, um, and you could probably just staple them on, um, or you could use foil, aluminium foil, because yes. that they really don't like scratching that. Okay, right. so you can put that on the furniture. I know it looks, yes. you know, you're not going to make house of the month with that, but <laughs> it's a temporary thing. Yes. And then the other thing is another type of distraction. So when she's scratching the furniture, um, we want to get her attention away from that. And so one thing I would recommend is using a laser pointer. So you can get laser pointers for cats. And so what you do is then you can get her attention by flicking the laser pointer across the floor away from the furniture. And that'll, that's highly stimulating to get her away from there. Right. She's got so many toys and... Yes, I really, I really think she wants to go outside. See, and I won't let her. I keep her inside because I don't like... We've got a lot of birds around here, and I don't want her outside amongst the birds. So, um, Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, certainly you're going to face a couple of other concerns there, and we could yeah. talk all day about that sort of situation. Yeah. But I think if you try those couple of things, make the scratching mm. poles more attractive, make the mm. furniture less attractive, and I mentioned <laughs> fell away and the mm. catnip. And then the other thing yeah. is a laser pointer to actually grab her attention right. and direct right. her away from the furniture. And then right. perhaps look into something like a cat enclosure that actually gives yeah. her a little bit of the outside but without letting her go outside. Good news, Denise. If you actually do go down the road of the laser pointer there, um, you can film them and you, and you look forward to a new career as a YouTube star because everyone loves those videos <laughs> of cats doing funny things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, Denise, best of luck with all of that. A little bit more of Pet Chat. And Dr. David Tabbert, we've got another call for you to warm up on here today. Mm -hmm. Good afternoon, Peter. You're wanting to have a, a quick, very super quick chat about the effectiveness of the electric flea and tick control. Go for it, Peter. Yeah, hi. How you going there? Um, what's your thoughts on electronic tick control, the little device that goes on the collar? Um... Well, two things. If it doesn't work, then you're in a bit of trouble because, um, you know, we've talked earlier about tick poisoning, poisoning and, you know, that can be deadly. And we're at a stage now of the year where if we run out of tick anti-serum completely and that's not far off, we've got nothing to treat that pet with. So yeah. it's a risky proposition to find some, to use something that's a bit unproven. Second thing I would say is uh, I think if they work really effectively, we'd be seeing people using them all over, and we're not. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. So I, th- from like the other thing, the other way to think of it is, if it works, then I would never see the dog in the hospital, you know, because it's working all the time. But I just I've talked to plenty of GP vets and they're not using it. All right, thank you so much for that. Uh, best of luck, Peter. Last up today, last up today there, uh, we're heading to Rathmines and Merrily. Uh, your little dog won't stop barking. What's the story, Merrily? Oh, it's my daughter's dog and I, and he just barks outside, outside all the time to either come in or any other noise around. He barks out the front. He barks when we eat. He just... Yeah, he tries to bite our hand to try and... He's got a heap of toys and, yeah, he just keeps barking at every little noise. He's very excited. The world is such a big place and it's all new and there's new smells and noises and it's very excited and he wants to tell you all about it all the time. And um, on top of that, the fact that he's also, you know bites and carries on and is ill-disciplined otherwise sorry to use that phrase but essentially he's just not gaining in terms of the behavior that you want him to right um so this is really he's still in an age where i would say let's get him off to some adolescent uh training and it's going to take a lot more work um a lot of the times what we do is we take puppies to puppy preschool did he do that Yes, he did. He did? Yeah. A little bit. She took him. Yeah. And a lot of these guys, though... He was very well behaved then. (laughs) He was very well behaved. So he needs a bit of ongoing um, training. And that's not unusual. Look, you know, it's not a failure on anyone. It's just just some some dogs, they need that ongoing training. Uh, A bit like kids, really. So, you know, he's done the the initial preschool. Well, now he's got to go back to school. And so I would really want to get him into an adolescent um, program. There's a completely different focus when they're in adolescent programs. And it's an extension of what we did at puppy preschool, but it's not just a repeat of that, okay? So he starts to socialise and see proper behaviour modelled by other older dogs. And so that that group of, of dogs provide... The, I guess in some ways the leadership, but it's certainly the modelling for the behaviour that you want to see. And also, of course, um, as owners, you know, you guys get so much out of it as far as what should you be doing to try and prevent this? Because just project a few years ahead, you know, two years ahead, what's he going to be doing? And that barking is just going to be driving everyone incessantly mad and he's going to be, you know... Uh, very difficult to handle, very difficult to do anything with. So we've still got an opportunity. Let's get him along to puppy preschool. And I think um, you've still got a chance to have a great little pet dog. All right, best of luck with that, Merrily. Thanks to you and everybody else that uh, gave us a call today. Dr. David Tabbert, thank you so much for answering Thanks, all of Mark. those calls. Appreciate that. And also, uh, Cheryl Shaw, we, we got in uh, our nice and early Christmas chat with you today. Yes, that was fine. All right, look forward to another pet chat uh, on the way next week if uh, you missed out on uh, getting your call answered uh, this week, next Wednesday after midday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.